Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Well, all right. Ding, ding. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda. I hope everybody made it through the Grammys broadcast. If you have no idea what I'm talking about and why I asked that, just hang with me, guys. I'll explain in as much detail as I can in just a few minutes. Well, today is the 6th of February, so let's go ahead and check out some of the headlines we're going to be covering. Lots of news from that Grammy broadcast from a couple days ago. We had a major special announcement to an arrest, I guess. Uh, The Super Bowl is coming up a lot quicker than we think. We've got an update to the Vince McMahon saga, our box office breakdown, and a lot more where that came from. Come get comfy, my friends, and let's get started. We're starting off big with the music news. The 66th Grammy Awards show took place on Sunday, February the 4th with Trevor Noah hosting for the, I would think it was the fourth consecutive year, with nine nods for her second studio album, SOS. SZA was the night's most nominated artist, while Taylor Swift, well, she wasn't too far behind. She had six nominations in some of the top categories, such as Best Pop Vocal Album and Song of the Year. And we saw, look, this show was actually probably one of the best ones I've seen in a long time. We had a lot of incredible performances. We had Billie Eilish, Dua Lipa, Olivia Rodrigo, Burna Boy, Travis Scott made an appearance, Luke Combs and Billy Joel. Now, I do want to talk a moment, the Luke Combs segment. I was in tears by the end of it, okay? So Luke really got people's attention when he released his cover of Tracy Chapman's 1988 hit Fast Car. And it honestly revived a lot of love for the original. Now, that being said, Tracy herself has not performed publicly in many, many years. So it was to thunderous applause that we got to witness this absolutely amazing duet of Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman performing Fast Car. This was the song that won Chapman the Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance back in 
fast enough so you can fly away. We gotta make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. Man, a couple days later, that still gets me chills, especially when you sit there and you watch it and you see the look on Tracy Chapman's face being back up on the stage. It's just like this reverence of this is really happening. People are cheering and it's just it's this huge moment. And then you got Luke Combs on the other side of the stage and he's watching her because he's giving her the lead. I mean, this is her song. He's just doing the cover and he looks like so honored to be on stage with her and it was just this moment and then they pan to the audience and you got all these people standing up and they're dancing and they're singing and it's just like it looks kind of like this big revival moment and it was just it was beautiful absolutely beautiful to watch all right there were over 80 grammy awards that were given out sunday night i am not gonna go over every single one i like y'all too much and i want you to come back so i am gonna save you a google search and I will post the winner's list in my show description. But let's go ahead and hit some of the highlights and a couple of lowlights from Sunday night. So Best New Artist was crowned. Victoria Monet took that award. Billie Eilish and Barbie won Song of the Year. So Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connell won the Grammy's biggest songwriting award for penning What Was I Made For for the Barbie soundtrack. Now, song of the, this particular Song of the Year was the Songwriters Award, not the performance one. Haven't gotten to that one yet. Taylor, 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 back in the news. You guys knew she was going to show up on this, okay? So Taylor wins the award for Best Pop Vocal Album, which is her 13th Grammy, by the way. And during her acceptance, she said she's been keeping a secret for two years. Wait, what? Yeah, that's pretty much what everybody else was saying. She announced, my brand new album comes out April the 19th. It's called The Tortured Poets Department. I'm going to go and post the cover right now backstage. Walks off stage and she did it. She actually did it. She went to her Instagram and posted a black and white image of her reclining across pillows. Now the top half of her face and the lower half of her legs are cut off in this low contrast image. It's really pretty. The caption reads, all's fair in love and poetry. Pre-orders were made available immediately, and they are already through the roof. People on Twitter X were going nuts, reporting they had to wait in like this digital queue to make their pre-order purchases because the system was so overloaded. This this is going to break records, honestly. But it's, I mean, it's a huge announcement. Everybody's like, wait, what? She's so used to accepting Grammys at this point. We're just now making announcements. Well, Miley Cyrus has her first Grammy, too. That was big news. She won the first award handed out on the actual telecast for Best Pop Solo Performance for Flowers. She also took Record of the Year for Flowers. The Best Rock Album? Paramore actually took this one for This Is Why. Okay, now, Taylor, coming back to her, uh, later uh, in that evening, she took Best Pop Vocal Album and Album of the Year for her album Midnight. This made Grammy history. The fourth album of the year win in a row. Midnight's broke, broke the record. A little bit of a low light on this one. There's, um, there's debate about this and how it was handled. So Jay-Z won an award. He took home the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award. And boy, did he give a speech to remember. He called out the Recording Academy for failing to recognize his wife, Beyonce, with album of the year i mean there's a part of me that's like the audacity of getting up there thanks for the award but i'm a crap on you now but i mean he said a lot but it basically boiled down to this quote i don't want to embarrass this young lady but she has more grammys than everyone 
and never one album of the year. So even by your own metrics, that doesn't work, unquote. Beyonce's been nominated for album of the year four times and has lost every time she's been nominated. She lost first to Taylor Swift, then she lost to Beck, Adele, and Harry Styles. She currently holds the records for the most Grammy wins in history with 32. Not an achievement to overlook, but really nice of him to remind her of the fact that she's never won. Thank you, honey. I mean, I'll admit, it, it was nice, and it's really a lovely thing for your spouse to go to bat for you. It just, it felt like the wrong place and kind of the wrong time for it. But I understand his gripe. I do. It's just, I don't know, it felt weird. Anyway, a few more surprises came up. So rapper Killer Mike killed it on Sunday, figuratively. He took home three golden gramophones. Okay, well, not home because he didn't make it home that night. Hours after receiving the awards, Mike was arrested backstage for what is reported as a misdemeanor. Now, allegedly, and I say that because the details are pretty sparse, even now. But somebody came out and said he accidentally hit somebody in the crowd and it was caught on camera. So they called the police, showed the police the video, let him receive his awards, and then arrested him. Yeah, well, he has been released on bail pending any other police involvement right now. Now, here's a name I'm going to throw out that we have not heard in a long, long time. Joni Mitchell. Now, Joni was one of the most influential influential can't talk today singer songwriters that came from the 1960s folk music circuit she was actually nominated 18 times and won in her career nine grammys herself but she never performed at the grammys until now so let me set this stage for you she's in her 80s guys um so keep this in mind she's seated on this throne-like chair and she's surrounded on stage by chandeliers the lighting is just gorgeous and she's joined on stage by brandy carlisle as well as jess wolf and holly lasig of the pop act lucius and some more musicians for a performance of both sides now i've looked at clouds from both sides now from up and down still somehow it was an absolutely beautiful beautiful performance to see and just the fact that she never performed at the grammys before just made it even more special now at the end of the show we got a huge surprise and this one honestly i think popped even a little bit better than taylor swift's announcement of her new album the presenter for the award for album of the year came out and it was celine dion now What's the big deal about Celine Dion? You know, big, huge star in the 90s, Titanic album, etc. If you haven't been following the news about this legendary performer, let me bring you up to speed. She's been out of the spotlight since at least December of 2022. She revealed that she has what's called stiff person syndrome. What is that? Okay, this is a very rare autoimmune neurological disorder that most commonly causes muscle stiffness, and painful spasms that just come and go, and it gets worse over time. Some people experience other symptoms like an unsteady gait, so they can't really walk, double vision, and slurred speech. This is something that affects the brain and the spinal cord, and it's basically slowly taking away her ability to properly move. So 
she's had to cancel concerts and performances and, and really it's just like I said stayed out of the spotlight so for her to show up at the Grammys was massive now with the, with Celine out of the spotlight her sister Claudette has regularly kept her fans updated on her condition last December Claudette disclosed that the disorder was starting to really affect Celine's ability to walk and to sing so all live performances and scheduled tours are pretty much I want to say on hiatus but that kind of indicates she may come back at this point the condition doesn't get any better so it's pretty much forcing retirement it was very much a huge surprise it was lovely to see uh taylor swift won this one came up it kind of looked like she had ignored celine when she went up there to uh, to accept her award but they ended up uh, having a moment backstage and, and taylor shared a selfie that she had taken with celine she looked beautiful honestly she looked great I'm very glad to see her up there, especially considering you know the most recent diagnosis that we had heard. It was really lovely. All around the show, I thought, was lovely. A couple of dresses were questionable, and I'm not going to call on Doja Cat, but I'm going to call her up. You may want to go Google that one because I'm not talking about it much. A little bit of racy outfits for a couple people. Miley's dress was a little, let's just say there were a lot of safety pins involved in that one. I mean, it looked pretty. I'll admit, it did look pretty. It's not something that I would have the courage to wear, but um, more power to you. So great to see Joni and great to see Tracy and great to see Celine. You know, proof that Celine's brain may not be working properly, but um, her heart is going on. <laughs> ah, boo me all you want. You know you laughed. Anyway, that was a lot. So how about we go talk a little bit about some sports? Well, here we are. We are less than a week away from the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, Nevada. And if you don't already have your tickets yet, I hope you have a fat wallet. Prices for the game on February the 11th are currently the most expensive on record. Just to get inside Allegiant Stadium to see the Kansas City Chiefs take on the San Francisco 49ers is going to cost you around eight thousand dollars for one ticket which is 35 percent more expensive than the five thousand nine hundred and ninety seven dollar get in price of the super bowl this time last year and this is data according to TickPick, which is an online ticket marketplace holy crap that is a lot of money the fact that sin city is playing host to the largest football game in the country for the first time is a really big factor in driving the demand but scarcity is also playing a part. So I take a look at this. TickPick Vice President of Growth, Matt Farrell, said this. Allegiant Stadium has 65,000 seats. Okay, sounds like a lot of seats, right? But in, in relation to other stadiums for, by capacity, 32 NFL stadiums, this ranks 27th among the 32. So this is a small stadium for a very big event. And honestly, okay, hindsight's 2020. This is the wrong year for this small stadium to host. But let's be honest, okay, who knew that a simple friendship bracelet would lead to the most popular bowl game in current history, right? I mean, just, it, it, it's just, you didn't know. But I'm surprised that Vegas, of all places, has one of the smallest venues. Really strange. I mean, 
I don't know. I figured it would be bigger than that. Sin City's a very big tourist destination and get people to come in for the NFL. And you're 27th out of 32? I don't know. That's, uh, I don't know, that shocked me a little bit. And honestly, Allegiant Stadium, I had to go look this up. It, this is relatively new. It was only open back in 2020. So 65,000 seats. It has a retractable natural turf field for the, when the NFL plays because they have the Las Vegas Raiders. There's an artificial turf playing surface for the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. A large operable wall that opens to views of the strip. The roof is translucent, and there's just a whole bunch of premium spaces throughout the levels. This facility is amazing. It's just, I mean, it cost $1.9 billion to build this thing, but it's so small. But I know, like I said, hindsight, it, honestly, if there was any other year when Taylor Smith, Smith, Taylor Smith, my God, Taylor Swift is not dating an NFL player, it probably would have been just fine, but the demand is through the roof. So looking forward to uh, to that game, but I tell you what, what we're not looking forward to hearing more about. Just days before this matchup takes place, we've got some extra stress hitting the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes Sr., his father, was arrested on suspicion of DWI. So this guy, he's actually a former M MLB pitcher as well. He was booked in the Smith County Jail over in Tyler, Texas on Saturday, which was January, I'm sorry, February the 3rd. He's facing a charge of DWI for the third time or more per record, and his bond was set at $10,000. Okay, y'all, for the record, in the state of Texas, a third DUI is a third-degree felony and carries a sentence of up to 10 years in prison if he is convicted. He was previously charged with a DWI um, offense back in 2018, pled guilty, served 40 days in county jail. And before that, he faced charges after getting into a one-car accident back in 94, but was also arrested and charged with public intoxication during a game between Texas Christian University and Texas Tech, which is his son's alma mater, back, by the way, back in 2016. Bad news bears for the Mahomes family. Hopefully, uh, this won't really bother uh, Patrick, while he's out there playing, it's just, I don't know. Thank goodness no one was hurt because it was a single car incident. But come on, couldn't you have waited a week and not drove? Ugh, decisions, people. All right, well, I do believe it is time for some entertainment news. I know I keep coming back to Super Bowl because now that the Grammys are over, this is pretty much the focus of the news cycle for the next week unless something major happens. But that being said, does anybody here remember this absolutely epic moment of TV history? Well, if you guessed Sweet Victory from SpongeBob SquarePants, I salute you. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with this absolutely banger of a performance, Sweet Victory was a song that appeared in the Season 2 episode of SpongeBob SquarePants called Band Geeks. And in this episode, SpongeBob and the other members of Bikini Bottom join a band led by Squidward, and the episode ends with the band performing during this fictional bubble bowl. 
And for years, fans of SpongeBob have requested that Sweet Victory be performed during a Super Bowl. Following the death of SpongeBob SquarePants creator Steven Hillenburg, a petition was created on Change.org to get the song played during Super Bowl 53 to honor Hillenburg. Now, the, sh- the song wasn't played, but there was a tribute during the halftime show. But now, the moment you have all been waiting for. It was announced on CBS Sports' ex-Twitter account, those who tune in to Nickelodeon to watch Super Bowl 58 will be treated to a performance of Sweet Victory before the kickoff. The performance will be animated in CGI, and it was shown in a small snippet on their account. You asked for it. And kicking off Super Bowl 58 on Nickelodeon Sunday, February 11th. Victory is yours. We promise. Be a part of history when Sweet Victory kicks off Super Bowl 58 live from Bikini Bottom. Sunday, February 11th at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. That's 6.30 sharp. Only on Nickelodeon. Is football an instrument? Um, no, no, Patrick. Football is not an instrument. All right, let's move on and turn our attention to the world of chess. Controversial chess pro Hans Niemann has been banned from the St. Louis Chess Club for the entirety of 2024, and he is not happy about it at all. So Hans Niemann, this is a little bit of backstory here. Uh, he emerged as one of the most promising chess stars in recent memory after this surprising victory against the world's best player, Magnus Carlsen, back in 2022. Made huge, huge headlines, honestly. But his newfound fame soon devolved into infamy as Carlsen started to accuse Neiman of cheating in an over-the-board event after previously doing so online. Okay, this guy's been caught cheating before. But he was cleared of wrongdoing by Chess.com. But the controversy, it's continued all the way into 2024 with his now being banned from this world-famous chess club in St. Louis. What exactly was the controversy? Okay, you will never have guessed it, so I'll explain. And honestly, it was one of the most bizarre scandals in recent memory in the world of chess. It's not often that the mainstream world shines a spotlight on chess, but allegations of a cheating scandal really got people's attention. And it escalated to the point where there was a $100 million lawsuit in play, but it seems like that part of the saga is starting to come to an end. The world took notice September 19th when Magnus Carlsen, the world number one and world chess champion since 2013, resigned unexpectedly while playing against Neiman in the sixth round of the Julius Baer Generation Cup. After a week of silence, he finally explained. He said, quote, I believe that Neiman has cheated more and more recently than he has publicly admitted. This was a statement released by Carlson September the 26th. This was in reference to Neiman admitting publicly that he has cheated twice earlier in his career. However, like I said, chess.com which is the largest online chess platform in the world, they've been investigating him, and it came up with this 72-page report claiming that he likely received illegal assistance in more than 100 online games. That's huge. Well, Neiman fired back, and he initiated this lawsuit against Carlson, Chess.com, and some other defendants for 
egregiously defaming him and unlawfully colluding to blacklist him. This is October the 20th. His legal team amended the complaint twice, but eight months after the original, a Missouri federal judge officially dismissed the complaint. All right, well, now that brings us to... uh, We're going to go to Reddit for this next part. So a Reddit post popped up and was suggesting... People were asking how... All right, we can kind of understand how you can cheat in an online game, but how do you cheat in chess live, you know, in, in front of other people? And so the illusion came out, or the allegations came out, that Neiman was using an adult toy to cheat. Now, there's no evidence of this happening, although technically it's possible to use vibrations in a certain part of the body to communicate. You heard what I said. Neiman was accused of using a a vibrating butt plug to cheat at chess. I can't make this stuff up. So fast forward to this year and in a statement, (laughs) I can't get past that part. The St. Louis Chess Club is claiming that after consideration of recent events, they would not be extending an invitation to Hans Neiman to compete in any tournament hosted in 2024. And the decision was based on Neiman's demonstrated inappropriate behavior, including damaging private property, rude comments, and an uncooperative attitude, resulting in a failure to fulfill contractual obligations. The club also asked that they hoped that this would give Neiman time to experience personal reflection and that they would reevaluate this decision in the future, depending on the progress he makes. All right, well, Neiman wasn't thrilled with this, and he posted a really scathing tweet slamming the club for how he'd been treated in the past and disputing some of their claims. He said this, In all of 2023, I received zero invitations to tournaments and could not even get a response to an email or call for months on end. I was assured shortly before the U.S. championships that I was not blacklisted for the club and I would receive invitations in 2024. And I was assured my relationship with the club was fine and I was never made aware of any inappropriate behavior or rude comments. He went on to say that the claim about him not fulfilling contractual obligations was ridiculous and explained that this came from him not wanting to do an interview after a disappointing draw while agreeing to every other interview throughout the chess championship. Now, the 20-year-old says he's planning to release a full video going over this ban and explaining the situation in more detail, but he also vows that the truth will prevail, and he will not be silenced. He may vibrate. Maybe. (laughs) And speaking of being silenced, Vince McMahon. All right. The saga continues. He last week was accused of sex trafficking and sexual assault by a former WWE employee by the name of Janelle Grant. He's reportedly being investigated by the feds now. This is a report from the Wall Street Journal. And individuals close to the investigation have said that New York prosecutors have spoken with women accusing the 78-year-old of sexual misconduct and that this has been going on for months. Now, I reported on this back in, I want to say it was in July of last year, that they they, had a search warrant for his property. Now, we don't know what had come of that. I just remember reading and talking about the fact that they'd gotten the subpoena and that they had gotten the this uh, search warrant for his phone and his property and they would have been going through it but as far as aware at the time that was the end of that so the wall street journal reported that last summer a year after it came out that mcmahon had agreed to pay 
more than $12 million in hush money payments to four different women. The federal agents issued the search warrant for his phone. They also served a grand jury subpoena for documents relating to allegations of rape, sex trafficking, sexual assault, commercial sex transaction, harassment, or discrimination against past or present WWE staff. The communication between McMahon and his accusers between, that also includes Grant, by the way, were requested. So going back to last week, we talked about Grant posting this lawsuit against McMahon. It's 67 pages is what it uh, turned out to be. Um, It also came out against WWE's former head of talent relations, John Laurinaitis, and the WWE itself. Um, This was January the 25th, just days before the Royal Rumble event in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, the following day, after one of their key sponsors, Slim Jim, paused their involvement within the organization, McMahon tendered his resignation from WWE's parent company, TKO, where he was a board member and he was the executive chairman. Now, Slim Jim has since reactivated its partnership with the WWE. Despite resigning, though, McMahon's denying all allegations and he's vowing to clear his name. And meanwhile, John Laurinaitis has claimed he's also a victim in the McMahon case. So, yeah, this is getting bigger. It's not going away. We're going to keep you all updated as we hear more. Now, moving on to something a little bit nicer, we're going to talk a little bit of Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey teased his retirement from acting after the release of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 back in 2022. And personal note, if you haven't seen either Sonic 1 or 2, get your popcorn and go enjoy this one. I grew up on the Sonic games and Sega games, and Sonic was my jam. I gave my mom so many headaches while she was trying to watch me navigate the crazy star levels and my siblings, they'd call me in to do them too. I loved them. And so like, you know, any video game fan, I got really, really, really nervous when they were announcing they were doing the live action movies. There have been so many flops in the last 20 years that it just, I I got worried. And then we had the whole ugly Sonic fiasco happen, but, you know, they fixed the animation. And there was much rejoicing. Much rejoicing, indeed. So, anywho, so you've got Jim Carrey starring as the villain, Dr. Robotnik, and, you know, we really thought his story was over when Sonic 3 was announced. And no, I'm not going to spoil how we knew of Sonic 3. You need to go see Sonic 2. Okay, so Jim Carrey, he honestly did a wonderful job playing Eggman. And so we are pleased to announce that he's not done yet. So the news of Jim Carrey's return comes from Variety. And there's a new teaser on social media hinting at Robotnik's plans for his grand return in Sonic 3. Now, Robotnik won't be alone in his quest for revenge as the threequel will see the big screen debut of... (gasps) Wait, 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 wait. That's a spoiler. I'm not reading that. Let's just say it's going to get dark. Now, previously, Carrie had hinted he was ready to retire from acting following his performance in Sonic 2 and said that at the time, he'd consider making another film if the script was good enough. And honestly, guys, he's kind of held up his bargain here. He hasn't acted in a single movie since 2022. He said in an interview, if the angels bring some sort of script that's written in gold ink that says to me, it's going to be really important for people to see, I might continue down the road, but I'm taking a break. Now, producers Neil H. Moritz and Toby Asher 
also confirmed that if Carrie had chosen to retire, they weren't recasting the role, y'all. He was pretty perfect in it. Sonic 3 will be racing into theaters on December the 20th, just in time for the festive season. Additionally, Knuckles, with voice actor Idris Elba, is getting his own spinoff TV show on Paramount+. Plus as part of the plan for the studio to create the Sonic Cinematic Universe. In the video game department, Sega announced a remastered version of the 2D, 3D platformer Sonic Generations, this time with extra Shadow the Hedgehog when it releases in autumn of 2024. This is going to get good. <sighs> All right, got to take a moment because this next story is not a nice one. This one actually it really sucks report on this one um actor carl weathers who had popular roles in rocky predator and the star wars franchise has passed away his passing was confirmed by family with a statement and although a specific cause of death wasn't told it's noted that he did pass in his sleep weathers was 76 years old he actually attended college at san diego state university and would try his hand at football. He played with the Oakland Raiders in the NFL and the BC Lions up in the, the Canadian Football League. But he actually got a degree in drama, so he tried his hand at acting, and boy, did that work out for him. Weathers would land his breakout role as Apollo Creed, the antagonist in the original Rocky film back in 1976, opposite Sylvester Stallone. And the actor would reprise the role in the 1979 Rocky II, 1982's Rocky III, and 1985's Rocky IV. Now, while Stallone's Rocky and Apollo Creed were foes in the original movies, they wound up becoming really good friends. And Apollo, he was a fan favorite by the time of his demise in the fourth movie. All right. I know. I talked about this last week a little bit. I talked about the uh, the Ivan Drago spinoff last week, didn't I? Bad timing. Well, Weathers was also really well known for just being one of the stars in the original Predator movie and had just reunited with his co-star Jesse the Body Ventura at a fan convention back in November. Another beloved role to feature the actor was actually Adam Sandler's trainer, Chubbs Peterson, in the 1996 comedy Happy Gilmore. And he actually reprised that role in the 2000 film Little Nicky. But his final film role was the voice of Combat Carl in the 2019 movie Toy Story 4. Are you Combat Carl? The only thing that's kept Combat Carl going is the thought he might see his owner Billy just one more time. In recent years, Carl Weathers has also become a major player in the Star Wars universe. With his role as Grief Karga in The Mandalorian, Weathers was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award. He also directed two episodes of the Star Wars series. Weathers was a beloved actor, brother father grandfather partner and friend rest in peace mr weathers you had a fantastic career now speaking of acting let's go check out the box office it's time for the box office breakdown Uh, so I have a little bit of a retraction from last week's show. The numbers I was given put Beekeeper up over Mean Girls, dethroning the Queen Bee from the previous week. But apparently the box office tallying took a little bit because Mean Girls ended up being the box, box office number one at $6.9 over the Beekeeper's $6.6 .6 But with that being said, 
with Argyle being released last weekend, how did the Plastics and the Bees actually do this week? Y'all, I'm going to be honest, this was not a good week for anybody at the box office. We have officially hit the early slump of the year. Matthew Vaughn's globetrotting spy comedy Argyle did take number one, but it kind of sputtered in its stop in the debut. It only earned $18 million. This movie, backed by Apple and distributed by Universal, cost $200 million to produce and it currently is shaping up to be the year's first big misfire. It had some pretty bad reviews, and they say it had some pretty lousy audience scores. I'm getting mixed reviews on that one. Some people said they absolutely loved it, but some people are just dumping on it. But it's currently holding a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes and a C-plus on CinemaScore. So Argyle took number one, but it's not looking good. Vaughn, who is the filmmaker of the Kingsman series and X-Men First Class, was intending to turn this into a trilogy, but... Those grand plans are looking a little less likely at this rate unless they have this massive dramatic uptick in ticket sales. Now, I mean, true, we've got Valentine's Day coming up, so maybe it'll be a date night movie. We don't know. Bryce Dallas Howard is starring in Argyle as the reclusive author of a popular series of espionage novels, but her life kind of takes a turn when the plot of her fictional books start to mirror the covert actions of a real spy organization. In second place, here's a surprise. The faith-based TV series called The Chosen brought in $6 million over the traditional weekend and $7.4 since opening on Thursday. Fathom Events is rolling out the show's Season 4 exclusively in cinemas with two-week runs of Episodes 1 through 3 starting February the 1st, followed by Episodes 4 through 8 later this month. This is a show, it's a drama about the life of Jesus Christ, and it introduces Jesus and the calling of his initial disciples with the discussion after each episode. So that took number two in the box office. David Ayer's action thriller The Beekeeper landed in third place after spending three weekends in number two. The Amazon MGM film collected $5.28 million, bringing its North American tally to $49.2, worldwide $122 million. Not bad. Timothy Chalamet's Wonka remained in the top four for the eighth weekend in a row, adding $4.7 million. After two months of release, Wonka has grossed $201 million domestically, $571 globally. The Warner Brothers musical comedy only cost $125 million, and it stands as a success financially thanks to the film's impressive staying power. Universal and Illumination's Migration swooped to the number five spot with 4.2 in the seventh weekend in theaters. The animated comedy about a family of ducks who head south for the winter has generated $106.2 million in North America, $210 worldwide. This only had a $70 million price tag, so Migration managing to stick around on the big screen long enough to turn a profit in its theatrical run? Fantastic news. But wait a minute. Where did Mean Girls go? Well, Mean Girls actually dropped to the sixth place after three weekends in first place. The book turned 2004 movie turned Broadway musical turned movie again brought in only four million. Four weeks after release, Mean Girls has amassed 66.3 million at the domestic box office and 
92.7 million global, globally. It's actually a pretty decent result given that they only had a $36 million budget. Not bad. The next big title that people are watching for is Madam Web. This is going to be released on Valentine's Day, and it's starring Dakota Johnson as Madam Web, the titular character. Now, Madam Web centers on the New York-based paramedic Cassandra Webb, whose clairvoyant abilities allow her to see into the spider world. And when three young women with web-slinging abilities are threatened by a seemingly ruthless killer named Ezekiel Sims, Cassandra must use her powers to keep the trio safe. Now, the plot is deviating from the comic book, big surprise, but still looks to be fun and exciting anyway. But enough about that, let's go check out some odd news. And now, for something different. So February started out with a bang for some people in downtown Toronto, Canada. A raccoon was behind the massive power outage that knocked out electricity to some 7,000 customers in downtown Toronto for several hours back on February the 1st. Hydro One said a raccoon made contact with equipment at a downtown station, which cut the lights for part of the city. Uh, the raccoon's condition is currently unknown. Now, Toronto's Hydro's outage map reveals the outage started about 7.40 p.m. and nearly three hours later, about 10.30 p.m., they fully restored the power. It's dark in here! Yeah. A spokesperson for the Toronto Fire Services confirmed to CTV News Toronto that there were at least seven elevator rescue calls during that time frame. I'm glad everyone was safe, but I just have a really bad feeling that raccoon didn't make it. Now... Let's head over a bit to the mountain town in Colorado called Nederland. It's about 40 miles west of Denver, and we're also going to take a look at Estes Park, which is 40 miles north of Nederland. While everybody else is gathering to celebrate St. Patrick's this year, thousands of people are going to be gathering in the town to celebrate a frozen dead guy. I am serious. For more than 20 years, a tradition-turned-festival has brought skeletons and ghostly figures to the streets of Nederland. And it all began back in 1989, when a man by the name of Bredo Morstol died from a heart condition in the European country of Norway. Well, instead of a traditional burial, he was packed up in dry ice and brought to a facility over in Oakland, California. Well, there, he spent four years in liquid nitrogen, according to the officials with the Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival, official name. Back in 1993, Morstel was then transferred to Colorado to live with his daughter and grandson in Nederland. Both of his descendants are described as strong advocates for cryonics who hope to start a facility of their own. And though Grandpa Bredo was not from the area, he became a familiar figure amongst the Nederland residents, and a festival was created to pay tribute to him. Some members of the community have even helped to keep Morstol in his frigid slumber in the decades to come. The process involves bringing dry ice to a shed where Bredo rests in a coffin with an icebox-like container. Whew, okay, well that soon blossomed into the three-day festival known as the Frozen Dead Guy Days, which includes iconic coffin races and a polar, polar plunge. Yeah, there they jump in the water, the frozen water in honor of Grandpa Bredo. Now, this festival has always taken place over in Nederland, where the frozen dead guy was resting, but that changed last year. They moved the festival up to Estes Park, 40 miles north, just last year, and it's going to be there again, 
running from March the 15th through the 17th with the beloved Coffin Races and the Polar Plunge, and as well as live music, dancing, and themed brunch menus. I cannot imagine what's on that menu. So back in August, more Stoll followed suit. Grandpa Bredo was driven to the old ice house at the I- hauntingly iconic Stanley Hotel. If you've seen Stephen King's The Shining, you'll understand. It was the inspiration behind The Shining. And they have permission from his grandson to have Grandpa living there. He was submerged head first in liquid nitrogen, and he now resides in the world's only museum dedicated to the science of cryonics, according to the hotel. The cold never bothered me anyway. Now, luckily, Grandpa Bredo is going to have some spooky neighbors coming soon. So not only is the Stanley Hotel known to be one of the most haunted hotels in the nation, it's also going to be getting a new horror movie exhibit. Blumhouse, the multimedia company known for horror films like Halloween, The Purge, Five Nights at Freddy's, Megan, and more, is going to be using a 10,000 square foot space at the hotel to uh, curate some exhibits with the company's extensive catalog, including films and TV and gaming. As for more soul, CBS is reporting that his family hopes doctors will be able to clone or revive him one day. Spooky thought. So, spooky personal opinion, the coffin race actually sounds pretty fun. Well, the Grammys have pretty much dominated the news cycle as the last couple of days. Lots of analysis, winners lists, and so on and so forth. We, I mean, we had a lot of awesome moments from that. We had Taylor breaking a Grammy record. We got to see Joni and Tracy and Celine all in one spot. But we've got the Super Bowl on the way, and SpongeBob's going to kick some things off for us. Uh, we had a chess player get banned. Vic McMahon is still being investigated. Uh, we lost a legend with Carl Weathers, and we have a new box office, number one, and a whole lot more we covered. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I'm including all the links to my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we're checking out the latest in the entertainment news. Remember, guys. Stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. You have been listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.